the most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Reaching the right users at the right time is crucial for any successful marketing campaign, and app marketing is no exception. Through keyword and market insights, searchads.com can help your Apple search ads campaign to find the most valuable prospects and convert them into users in the most effective way possible. Advanced automation tools can take care of the busy work so you can focus on the things that really matter. Go to searchads.com to start your free trial today. That, once again, is searchads.com. Check ASO is an analytical ASO platform that provides you with up-to-date data on keywords, competitors, ratings, and reviews. It also grades your ASO level and gives you custom tips on how to improve it. This way, you can increase your app page visibility, organic traffic, and installs with every update. Try it now for free for seven days at checkaso.io. That once again is checkaso.io. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to helping you grow your app downloads and more importantly, the most important thing, your revenues. Today, I've got a phenomenal guest. We're going to talk all about EdTech how psychology research can really become an app, and how she's been able to scale in many different countries. So without further ado, let me introduce the guest. Her name is Shriya Saxaria, and she is the founder and CEO of an app called Lamha. It is the memory jar company. It helps groups create private websites and homemade products to save and share memories. So if you don't want to share it publicly, you, you know, I love this. You want to share it privately within a closed community of just pictures, family events that happen. And this is the app for you. She's also a best-selling novelist and three times, three times all East Archer. Shriya, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Can I steal you to introduce Lamha everywhere we go? Yes, that's that's my next career. I want to be the hype man wherever you need me. So you let me know. All right. <laughs> so so thank us, you for having me. You know, you said it, you graduated from Princeton University. So congratulations on that. Tell us where Lamha first started. Lamha first started as a physical product, I would say, in 2015 in India. So one of my first few jobs, quote unquote, was to be a writer. And I'd made a deal with my publisher that anytime one of my books goes on to do well, I would be able to write a nonfiction book and we would give the money from that book to a community in need. So my freshman summer from Princeton, I decided to write about terminally ill kids living in India. The AIDS epidemic was rampant then. And People in villages who typically lent on other families to support them couldn't do that because they couldn't admit that they had AIDS. So there was a real taboo and a real struggle in being able to get treatment. So my idea was, you know, spend time with these families, raise money for their treatment through the book and hopefully help out a little bit. What ended up happening was that the publishing cycle was so long and that the book just didn't come out in time to save some of the kids. 
So I had all of these voice notes and I had these video recordings and I had drawings the kids had made. And I just, I felt really helpless because we weren't able to do anything for the families. So I took these glass jars and filled them with all of these notes I had about each child and sent them to the families. And the families really loved having that. So the concept of memory jars actually got created in a tiny Indian village using glass jars my grandmom had in her cupboard and these notes children had shared. The concept evolved from there during my senior thesis at Princeton, where one of my degrees is in psychology. So a question that kept coming up was, are all social media platforms just terrible for mental health? There was a lot (laughs) coming up about how Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, you're giggling because you probably read this too. There was a lot of research coming up about how these apps are just terrible for mental health in certain regions and particularly with teenagers. So as my psychology senior thesis, I wanted to try to create an app that was actually good for mental health. And trust me when I say I tried all sorts of things. I created a version that made people call their moms. I created a version that made people go out for a run. And there was nothing that consistently made people happy. That's when I remember this memory jar idea I had in this Indian village that made people experiencing grief feel a little bit happier just for a few seconds. I'd done a couple of memory jars over time. Like I'd worked briefly with some delegates I'd met at the UN headquarters and I'd worked with the army to send home jars. And so I knew that these jars provided momentary boosts of happiness. The question became, can we digitize this in a meaningful way that people who aren't necessarily experiencing grief can experience these momentary boosts of happiness? And can we make it good for psychological well-being in general? And so I spent my final year at Princeton tinkering around with digitizing the memory jar experience and making it so that even 10 minutes on Lamha now improves all six kinds of psychological well-being, improves happiness and reduces loneliness. So in a small nutshell, that's how the idea came to be. No, I love that. And I love that you were able to clearly show share the journey with us. Cause I think too many times we see some success story and like, you don't know where it all started. You don't know the ups and downs. You don't know that it went to different iterations. And so you sort of highlighted all that and making sure that, Hey, this went through multiple different iterations before you landed with the final product that you have now. Yeah, that, that's the start of the iterations. That's the first year. Now three and a half years in, there's so many more iterations that I can tell you about. But yeah. yes, it's definitely, definitely a meandering path, not a straight one. So I know you wanted, you said you started with mobile first, correct? So what made you want to build yes. the app out of it too? So it was seeing the results we had, right? That even 10 minutes with memory jars made people happy. I wanted mm-hmm. to find a way to scale the experience. And we knew that digital was the way to go. But when it came to thinking about how the people we wanted on the app were consuming content and consuming apps, basically web or mobile, it was very clear that mobile would make more sense because our main populations then were college students who wanted to record their college journey and senior citizens who wanted to record end of life type content. Now, These aren't the types of people that are spending multiple hours on a laptop doing things that aren't related to work. These are the types of people that are using their mobile phones in between classes or, you know, taking their mobile phones to bed with them. So if we wanted an experience where they could meaningfully record moments as they happened, we needed it to be on a device that could record moments as it happened. And so it made sense because of the scale and because of the capturing, we wanted to encourage to go mobile first. The... 
you're not a coder, I'm assuming, because you said you're a writer, but like, how did you go about building this app? Writers can code. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <My bad. laughs> did, you, did you code this app then? I didn't code this one. Okay. I, I did make a few apps in school, didn't do coding in college or anything. This app came about through multiple different people I hired over time. It was built primarily by people I found in India, actually. Oh, nice. who were just starting out their freelance practice and were fantastically experienced 10, 13 years in Swift and, you know, in Android and in PHP and other languages like that, who had basically been in outsourced agencies. And they'd reached the point where they felt like they wanted to have their own careers. And the universe just worked out in a way that we found them. And they've been with the team since. Wow. And they're fantastic additions. Yeah. You know what? I found somebody who's in Sri Lanka, actually, and I think it was through Upwork. But yeah, the same thing. And I've worked with him since 2012 range. But wow. yeah, he's now a freelancer. And I almost recommend a lot of different people to him if they're looking for a freelancer, not looking to work with the company. And now he's been able to do it full time too, and just do this freelance stuff on, on the side. I love that story. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the launch because you started in Princeton. Did you launch yeah. in the U.S.? Yes. So the first launch was in the US. We actually mm -hmm. launched four Princeton reunions, which is this crazy party that all of the Princeton alumni come to attend. So the first day of Lamha was purposefully the first day of Princeton reunions in 2018. So all of the alumni coming back were posting their memories. It was really fun. That's awesome. Was it easy to work with Princeton reunion? Um. Yeah, I think so. I think Princeton was way more supportive than I would even expect them to be. Like they had our faces plastered everywhere and they had a showcase for alumni to come and see us. And, you know, Princeton was actually my first check ever for Lamha too. Like they were our first clients. Wow. So Princeton was really supportive. I wouldn't trade it for anything. The downside of working reunions is though you don't get to enjoy reunions. So it's like <laughs> graduation time. And you know, you my, my entire class was just enjoying a reunions weekend and I was working the launch of my first app, but yeah. I wouldn't trade it thing. It was incredible. Well, I wanted to hit on that because I was just like, well, it sounds so easy, right? Shira? Yeah, like you're like, hey, we just work with them. We were able to get, I don't know, a few thousand, you know, you tell me what kind of users and usage you were able to get out of it, but it seems so easy. So I was like, you know, tell me a little bit more about that because I want the audience to understand. And what I liked about your story too is one, I want the audience to understand that like you started where you were, right? Like I think too many times, like you have this memory jar, you're like, Lamha, let's go universal, let's go super big. How do we launch super big already? Then you're like, no, let's start with this Princeton reunion thing that I'm a part of that I can easily get people to be aware of it. And then because we're all Princeton, there's a more like, there's a more, I guess, like a family oriented that I'm willing to try out an app that is, you know, from a Princeton alumni too. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it's also worth noting that if you do your area really well, or yeah. whichever one area you pick really well, and your product makes sense, there's nothing to stop it from going global, right? Like right. for Lamha, within the first month of reunions being over, we were in countries that I couldn't even pronounce the names of. So it wasn't like we were actively going and doing publicity anywhere. It was like the users were carrying the app with them because they liked the experience. So I think mm -hmm. it's worth localizing and really working with a group that's going to give you good feedback, getting the product right with them, and then letting them carry the product for you. 
I know most of the, you know, revenue comes from the web product and the evolution of that. I want to get into that, but you told me that organizations, organizations are now buying the subscription to Lumha. Tell me, yes. was that always in front of your mind? Like, was that something that you're like, Hey, we're, we're going to target organizations or was it something that just happened organically? It was, it was a little bit of both. So the first pitch deck ever made for Lama during Lama's launch spoke a lot about the idea of psychological safety and how if people feel comfortable at work, their work is better and the company's better. And we showed evidence that Lama boosted psychological safety. So it was always that, you know, we're going to take this to organizations, organizations are going to pay for it, but no organizations paid for it. So then I abandoned that for a year and, you know, went more down the D2C route obviously started physical products. And then slowly in India, we started seeing schools call up and say, hey, our kids love this thing. Is there a way we can have it with more control? Or is there a way we can have this personalization? So over time, I kept making a list of things organizations wanted to pay for. Like they would call our headline and say, okay, I'll pay you X amount if you can build me this thing. Mm. And then we picked the top, 40, 50 features that people consistently wanted us to build that they wanted to pay for and then built those out, repackaged it in basically exactly what I pitched in my first pitch deck, just made it look prettier and then everyone wanted it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I like that. I love that story. You're like, you knew it just took some time for people to come around, but I knew you guys were going to get there. Yeah, you just had to make it look pretty. Like we took out all of the mustard yellow and brown, not sure what I was thinking when that happened and made it white and black and pink. And everybody's like, all right, here's my money. Please take. <laughs> yeah, I love it. The, the one thing that I want to commend you to, and you, you got, you said this, so I want to sort of hit on, continue with this is I've heard from others too. It's like early on, get feedback and make it so easy. So within the Lumha app, I can check chat and then it just takes me to whatsapp like super easy opens up yeah. whatsapp and i'm sure i can talk to you guys and ask for things and i have an online chat on my website and i gotta tell you like yes it might not be used all that much but when it is used it gets me like really great insights yeah we have so many people on our headline now first it used to be just me yeah. and then i had so many dark circles people were afraid I was going to die so <laughs> we had to get additional people on our helpline yeah. because Lama by design, there are pieces of it we've intentionally made easy and there are pieces of it we've intentionally made hard, right? Because one thing that we're very clear about is we want this to be a meaningful experience mm -hmm. and having something like sharing memories be meaningful means you can't just dump 500 photos you took at a party into your memory jar. That's going to take a lot of the meaning away from the memory jar, right? right. You want to choose the photos. And so uploading has a lot more friction, but that's by design. Mm -hmm. And so users who are used to frictionless product, who, which, you know, that's, that's great. It has its own space. I don't think it's as meaningful, but users who are used to that kind of product who want to use Lamha, who understand the value of Lamha, are constantly hitting up the helpline and being like, okay, how do I do this? How do I do that? So you're completely right. It gets us really good feedback. And to touch on what you said about making it easier, I think it's a conscious choice where you can choose to make something hard. Like the most famous example is the edit button on Twitter, right? Like there's no way the Twitter team doesn't know that people want the edit button on Twitter. Everyone knows that people want the edit button on Twitter, but they won't give it to users because it takes away, I think, from what Twitter stands for. Mm -hmm. And similarly for us, there are some things that are intentionally hard because it takes away what Lama stands for. So making that decision and knowing 
that you have to hear all the feedback, but not necessarily listen to it, I yes. think is really important at that stage. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You got to hear all feedback, but not necessarily listen to it. And I try to just, you know, like when I'm, when I'm talking to people and I always recommend this to people is like, I'm looking when I'm talking to clients and giving them advice about their app. I'm like, look, this is just one person's opinion, right? I want to differentiate right. between one thing that might be data back where I'm like, Hey, look, we've seen a lot of this happen and a lot of good case studies come out of this versus this is just my opinion. So get some more feedback, but this is just my opinion versus this is hard facts. I do think that this will work for you. Right. And then balancing the hard facts with gut feelings yeah. from founders, right? Totally. Because like you're building this product and you have a belief and you should be confident enough to test it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you impose your belief on everyone, but people who are using your product and people who are funding your product believe in your vision. So you owe it to yourself to test it out. That's something that took me a long time to appreciate. Just trusting my own gut enough to at least test it, if not build it out. Yeah, I like it. How did you come up with pricing for the organizations? It depended on what we were trying to do. So in some areas, the idea was to make money because the schools could afford to pay us. Right. And in some areas, like let's say tier three plus India, the idea was to make the product accessible and to get more people on it. So we didn't want to be in the situation where we were having crazy scales in pricing and we didn't want to discriminate that way. So we sat down and had a conversation as a team and said, do we want to make the pricing accessible so we can get maximum people? Or do we want to make super high margin tr transactions right now that can help us stay funded for longer? And we really thought about it. And I think accessibility is one of Lamha's core principles. We actually have nine, so accessibility is one of them. Mm. And we decided that we wanted to make it affordable, but obviously we have to keep the lights on. So we had basically a focus group of people from different states in India because Indians started paying us first through schools. Mm -hmm. And then we asked people that, how much can you pay for this service? without taking away from a teacher's salary or from quality education for children, because those are obviously priorities. And we explained the benefits we were offering them. And um, obviously there were tier one urban schools that gave us a number. And then there were tier three rural schools that gave us a number. And then we decided to price it at the tier three rural schools, because like I said, we didn't want to discriminate prices and we wanted to keep it accessible. And it was enough for us to keep our lights on. Yeah. What do you, do you want to stay with the organizations and monetizing through the organizations or is there a D B2C play that you're still thinking about here? That is a B2C play and the B2C play has come from the users. Okay. So <laughs> that I love our user base because honestly, I have to do almost no thinking where they're concerned. They're very vocal. They know what they want. It's amazing. Yeah. So an example is Lama is pretty popular with weddings where people generate a link that goes out, a QR code basically that goes out on the wedding invitations, mm -hmm. which links to the couple's love story. And then people not attending the wedding post their blessings for the couple. And then mm -hmm. at the actual wedding, there are QR codes of the link where the guests can just scan and upload their memories live. And then there's a screen next to the bride and groom which shows people's live reactions. So this is all free. But the wedding groups that were doing Lama reached out to us and basically said that they want to pay for different things at each point. So 
when the invitation link or QR code goes out in the wedding invitation, they want specially designed QR codes and they want the URL to be their name. And then when the guests are posting the blessings, the ones who can't come, they want a customized message, thank you message to go out. And then they want customized posters of the QR code and customized physical products of the QR code at the mm. wedding. And then they want their own colors in the slideshow and they want their own thank you link. So there are specific customizations at each point that they, they've come forward and said, okay, can you build this thing? We'll pay you this much. And now that we've heard it consistently, like you said, almost like hard data for multiple people, we know this is a thing we want to build out. So that's an example from the wedding space, but it's the same from the baby virtual book space. It's the same from the birthday space. People want to pay to customize Lamha. Lamha by design is black and white and like light yellow so it doesn't get in your face but they want to put their own colors and they want to put their own branding on it so that's going to be a d2c play that we're going to make once we finish building out other features people want to love the product a little bit more just allowing them to customize their jars in ways they've requested over time and then the physical products tell me about that like why, why monetize through the physical products or why i mean like why even have physical products actually let me ask you about that <laughs> i think that there are some things in life that are tactile by nature yeah. and there as humans we have multiple senses right it's not just a vision it's not just auditory there are certain things that work better when you hit all of the different senses think about the things we love most in life food it mm. just it hits multiple senses and i think the memories that people love the most that they find most meaning in tend to hit multiple senses. You remember the smell of cookies when your grandmom was baking. You remember the taste of the Maggie noodles you used to eat in college. You remember all of these different things. And so digital, I think we are getting to a point where it's going to be multimodal, but digital right now only offers vision and auditory. And I think there's a lot about memories that is felt literally with your hands and that you want to smell and that you want to, I don't know, eat. We literally put tea bags and chocolates in people's memory jars too from their childhood. So mm. it, it's because memories by nature are multimodal. We want to give people a great experience. Also, um, people in certain regions of the world still have not habituated to paying for digital products because digital to them mm -hmm. feels like something that should just be available. They're in fact even okay to the degree that they'll see ads, but they don't have the concept yet yeah. of paying for a digital product. So if you want to monetize those populations, which is mainly where Lama is right now, you have to give them something they can hold and something they can feel. That's what they'll pay for. So it's because of what the concept is and how physical products represent them, but it's also because of who's actually using it. Mm, I like that. I love that you have the insight too. She, uh, we're, my wife and I were watching Never Have I Ever on Netflix and mm. the mom was like, the, the daughter was like, hey, you know, like I lost all this stuff because you don't play for the cloud. And she's like, I'm not going to pay for anything I don't, I can't see. <laughs> 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 sort of is in line with what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I'm not going to pay for anything I can't see digitally. Well, that's very real. You show it to them also, they won't pay for it. They won't pay for anything they can't hold in their hands. And they <laughs> yeah. also like literally pay in cash. So oh. it's been during COVID really interesting to figure out how we can collect money. That's been a whole adventure. Mm. You know, one of the things that I, I started doing too was, and I guess it is around this memory jar as well, you know, like, back when I was growing up, we had to print out all our photos just to see what we yeah. took. Right. And so yeah. I was like, Oh, I want to buy this sort of photo book that my, 
them our family, we can all just sort of like put in photos in there too. And it sort of reminds me of this because I did, that's why I asked you about the physical. It's like, you're right. Like there is something to the physical, like granted everything is on social media and I try to share things I want to remember too. But at the same time, like I want that physical because it means a lot more for me. I don't know why. Like I just like looking through a photo book. It looks cool. It looks curated. It feels feels personalized. Mm -hmm. We have so many video reactions of people receiving memory jars all over the world. And honestly, anytime in life, I feel a little bit sad about anything. I just watch that. It's amazing to see Mm -hmm. people from a two-year-old receiving a toy memory jar to a 75-year-old receiving a 75, 75th birthday gift from all their friends to someone graduating college, receiving one from their family back home. It's amazing to see people's reactions. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, now I want to talk to the about scaling in different countries. So when did you, having started in the U.S., having grown in the U.S., when did you decide to scale to different countries? And then you know, like, how did you, how did you go about scaling to those countries? So I was lucky enough to be part of, when Lama was being created, be part of this youth assembly, which took place at the United Nations headquarters. And in between sessions, I would just be on my phone on Lama. It is by far my favorite app. And people would ask me what I was doing. So I would tell them about Lama. And, you know, when you're at a place like that, you have people from a lot of different countries. So I was hanging out with a lot of different delegates and they saw what Lamha was and they thought it was interesting. So they got Lamha and they actually, a lot of them took Lamha back to their countries. Mm-hmm. And being an international student at Princeton also helped scale it to other international students in their countries. And I think Lamha also sort of took on a life of its own because there was a small amount of press generated just because it was a thesis stoned app, which was at that time new and interesting to people that, oh, you could take something from a science lab and make it an app. So there was press, there were these delegates, there were other people in my social network that grew it. And my family's all in India. So they were super supportive and, you know, really the cheerleaders for the whole company and app and getting everyone they knew to download it. And just, I think, honestly, by virtue of population and how proud Indian families feel of anything anybody in their families accomplished. Mm -hmm. We looked at our data about a year and a half ago and realized that 90 something percent of our users were in India and a lot of our growth was happening there. Mm -hmm. And I think we reached a point where because we were in we were in production in 150 countries. So because we were in production in so many countries, our marketing messaging was getting lost. It was hard to concentrate logistics. And, you know, there's a lot of localization that needs to be done. We deal a lot with privacy because we have children's memories and things on the platform too. So making sure we were compliant in different countries was getting a lot. So we knew we had to focus our energy in one place, our outbound energy, at least in one place. We continue to take inbounds and downloads from different places in the world, but we knew we had to pick one, maybe two geographies to really focus our outbound energy. And it just made sense seeing the numbers in India and thinking about how India, I genuinely believe, is going to be the next billion in terms of any app downloads. It made sense to play our home field advantage and grow it in India. All right. I like that. The outbounds, you, you brought up outbound. What outbound strategies have been working well for you guys? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so for us, it's two pieces, right? One is to get people excited about the product, which 
in the case of most apps happens through word of mouth or social media or any place you can basically capture people's attention if your product is any good. So it's getting people excited. The second piece of it is training people how to use it, right? Because if you're going into geographies where people don't necessarily know what Facebook and Instagram is, mm. and you're going into the age group of 80 plus, 85 plus, for them to compose a picture iMessage or WhatsApp is challenging. Mm -hmm. And so if you're all of a sudden creating an app for them to share their memories and memory jars, it's it's hard. It's something they're not used to. So for us, we're very clear that whatever outbound strategy we go for, it has to get people excited. And they get excited when it makes sense and is useful. Mm -hmm. And it has to involve some amount of handholding because as a small team, we can't possibly train everyone ourselves. And schools right off the bat made sense from the training thing because that's where people go and learn. But it made sense also for getting people excited because I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but if you ever have to put together a portfolio, it's really hard because yes. we do so many things and all of your data and documents are so scattered. So for school children in particular, we noticed that when they have to apply to colleges or they have to apply to internships, at most they send in a transcript. They have no recording or documentation of the amazing activities they've done mm -hmm. or the sports they've played or the art they've created. There's no documentation of any of that, especially in India. They just present their transcript and they're like, this is who I am. I am mm -hmm. my marks. And I think students are a lot more than their marks. So we brainstormed with a lot of teachers and principals and realized that one thing that's exciting to the students and to the schools at large is the idea of every student having a portfolio of memories. So the way it works right now is students, as soon as they get admission in schools, get their own memory jar, which is only visible to them, their parents and their teachers. We made sure other kids can't see it because we didn't want bullying and we didn't want social comparison and things like that. So children have their own memory jar where when they're young, their parents post a fancy dress, a poem recitation, things like that. And the teachers post report cards. And it's also important to close the parent-teacher gap here. But as the children grow older, they use it sort of like a weekly journal where they can put in a voice note of what they've learned. They can put in a video of football highlights that they played. And so by the time they reach 12th grade, or in some cases, even their postgraduate program, all of their achievements and activities and things they're excited about and things they've learned are on one link for them to keep for the rest of their lives. And this can be shared with college admissions. This can be shared with internship managers. This can be shared with anyone who wants to see the student for who they are. So that, that idea of seeing students beyond the marks and helping parents and teachers see what's going on with the kids was exciting to people. And schools were exciting to us because they were excited about portfolio of memories and they would train everyone. So that's why we went to schools. Oh, I like that. Are you doing anything on the training side? Cause I always feel like I love this. I love the strategy that you said, Hey, excite them and then t show them how to use the app because you need that. And I've been working with a lot of different clients where we're trying to show like, you know, there's a, there's one that we did a couple of years ago, uh, a client that he had a case study. Now we weren't involved, but his case study was like, he doubled his revenues just by having a email sequence that showed people how to use the app. Are you, Shria, are you doing anything on your end to kind of just show people like how to do the app besides relying on schools yeah. to train their students? Oh, hundred percent. We have okay. so many training materials in so many different languages. So um, if you go on the Lama website, you see demo libraries and training libraries 
by person. So if you're a student trying to figure out how to use Lamha versus your teacher versus your owner versus you're just a regular person trying to figure mm. out how to use Lamha, you can choose your language and then it gives you an entire library that you can watch in video form, you can read in transcript form. We build literal memory jars with training materials. So we do that. We do a lot of in-person pre-pandemic and since pandemic Zoom training sessions. Mm. But we've also tried to make the product simpler, right? Because the advantage of doing training yourself is if the kinds of questions that are coming up are repetitive, you know that's a problem point in your app. Right. So we do a lot of training still, even though we have all of these libraries, because if we get the audience asking us the same questions again and again, we just go back and change it in the app. So we do training, we rely on the schools to do training. We don't do a lot of emails because people in most of our geographies don't read emails or find emails irritating. I see. Um, but we definitely, I, I love the training bits. I try to do as many of them myself as I can. It's really fun. I see there, you're a star. <laughs> I don't know. I would definitely kill to have the energy you had at the start of the call. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I enjoy being in front of people who are using the product. And yeah. even if we're not talking to them, just seeing them use the product, first of all, is really motivating because the idea is in your head for years and seeing it in people's phones means a lot. Yeah. But also because you get to learn from seeing people interact with it. Yeah, I love it. Shriya, is there anything like looking back on the few years that you've been running this, is there anything that stood out to you as like, you know what, that really helped us grow X, Y, and Z? Is there a strategy that comes to mind? Um, I wouldn't say it's a strategy, but I would, one thing we realized being in it for a couple of years is just how one person's free isn't necessarily another person's free. So whenever we spoke about Lamha in the DDC space, we always thought of it as a free app, right? It's unlimited storage, upload as many photos, videos, audio as you want. But one thing we didn't realize was that in some rural parts of the world, it actually costs them money to upload a video mm. because they don't really have the broadband. And the way they were doing it is uploading a photo and then uploading voice in a separate message and then uploading a photo and then uploading voice. And when I asked them why they were doing this, it was because uploading videos is expensive. And that was just one thing that we hadn't realized going in that one person's free isn't another person's free. Yeah. So I wouldn't call this a strategy necessarily, but one thing that's been really helpful is talking to people from multiple different places whenever we build something new to figure out what are the costs and benefits for them, right? Like if we make storage unlimited, great for people who have good broadband, not so great for people in other regions because it takes time for the app to open for them. So just finding a way to keep the app accessible to multiple different strata rather than trying to build for the quote unquote universal has been an interesting yeah. lesson for us. Wow, I love that. I love doing this because I get to talk to people from all these different countries. And sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm Googling, I'm like, where's this place? I've never heard of this place. <laughs> and you learn about so many different cultures, so many different ins and outs, and you hit on it. Like you freeze. When you said that, I was like, oh, I know exactly where you're going with this. Cause yeah, it's not free. Some people have to pay for data. And so there's companies out there that help you get some data, free data by doing X, Y, and Z. And so I love that insight. Tria, What's the it, best insight yes, you've gotten? Yeah. Can I, sorry, I'm hijacking. No, please, What's the please, best hijack. insight you've gotten? Aside from mine, because I'm just going to flatter myself here. What's the best insight you've gotten from these conversations you've had? Oh, mine? Mm, yeah. From, from what perspective? Just 
what the first thought that came to your mind when I said that? The first part is on the okay. So the first thing that came to mind when you first said that was Ooh. it's just I mean, I'm thinking on a philosophical, like the world I feel like would be a lot better if we just understood how similar we are and just understood the differences that we all come from. And just understanding that, like, you know, what I loved about your story, and I'll bring it back to you, is that you really it seems like to me on the out on from the outside perspective that you started with a mission, right? It was very mission oriented. Here's what we want to do. Want to be accessible. Cause you give it out. Like for me, you know, being in the Western world, like you're giving away so much for free and it just really started with the mission on how do we help people share memories, really bring happiness and not so much about like, okay, here's how we're going to monetize. Here's how we're going to really scale. But like, no, it just sort of organically happened. And then you got insight from people. And so that insight would be like, just talk to a lot of people, like honestly, from everywhere. Don't just talk to people from the States or just in India or just everywhere. And that's the top insight that I've had. It's just like, I don't say, I don't necessarily say no to a lot of people to talk to because I just love hearing their stories and how they get to interact and what they think their view of the world and all that stuff. So I love that. <laughs> all right, Tria. Well, anything I missed before we hit the big finish? No, just thank you for having me. Lamha is available on the Play Store and App Store. You can even download Lamha from the website or use it directly. You don't have to make an, you don't have to download, you don't have to make an account. You can use Lamha directly from the website. Just click on the link, jar opens. You can add memories, share it, and, you know, tell people about the app. Yeah, super easy to use. Super well done. I love all of it. Like the welcome flow, essentially you getting, letting me get into the app easily and then when i did want to like post some stuff you're like hey no you're gonna have to register steve i'm like okay cool i'll register now no problem <laughs> and so really job job well done and the website's super easy to use and what i really love is it's not just photos i can drop a note in there i can do a voice messaging that's all you can do pdfs yeah, yeah that's new <laughs> really cool well tria this has been absolutely amazing but let's go to the big finish give us besides lumha give us another app that we should definitely check out Oh my God, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> uh, okay, give me a category and I'll try to think of an app. Okay, category? Okay. Uh, productivity. I, I just literally use Lamha and email. <laughs> <laughs> Lamha and email? Okay, what's your email app? What's your favorite email app? Mail. Very basic. Mail, Mail. on my phone and Outlook on my desktop because <laughs> I like having my calendar organized in Outlook. Yes. Okay. We'll go with that then. What's a lesson could be business or personal that took you the longest to learn? Understanding that people aren't doing me a favor by using my product. I've, I just felt the need to thank everyone for doing me the favor of downloading Lamha until I realized that Lamha is a good product and I should have confidence in myself and in what I'm building. It took me a very long time to accept that. It felt arrogant at first. Wait. So repeat that. You said it, it felt like a favor and you had to get over yeah. that. I had to get over that because it's whenever I felt confident in myself or in Lamha, I would feel like I was being arrogant and that I was quote, being quote unquote bossy because, you know, growing up, that's what we're told. When you say that, oh, I built this amazing thing, people say, oh, but look at her. She's so arrogant. Yeah. So it took a long time for me to actually be confident in what we were building. And because I wasn't confident in myself or what we were building, I felt like everyone downloading the product and using it was doing it out of a familial obligation, was doing it because they cared about me. I never thought they actually liked the product. So it took me a long time to accept 
the fact that, okay, I'm doing something right and product matters to people. Yeah. How long do you think it took you? Still work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say that now I'll, I'll listen to someone who says they like Lama. First, when somebody would say, I like Lama, I'd be like, no, no, you know, thanks so much. And All I would right. try to compliment them back. Now I'm learning how to say thank you. Yeah. I think we're still a little bit, a little ways to go from when I feel like I've built something amazing, but you know, yeah. part of the journey. Yeah. I try to do that too. When somebody says, you know, X, Y, and get throws me a compliment rather than just be like, no, you're great. You know, you know how we always like to do yeah. that. You're great. No, just you're great. <laughs> yeah. Just absorb it. it. Like, thank you. I really society. Right. Just accept it and be thankful. So Shreya, I'll end with this then. Congratulations on building such an amazing company, amazing product. I am a, a fan of it. I looked at it. I'm like, yeah, this is really cool. And just using the app before our interview really did like jeer up a lot of memories. Just for me, I've got a couple of kids. I'm like, oh, this would be a perfect spot. And so congratulations. I hope you absorb that. Congratulations on all your success. The app, once again, is Lumha, L-U-M-H-A-A. It is linked up into your show notes. So you can just click on the your favorite podcast app and you'll go to the website and you can check it out on the favorite app stores or just go to lumha.com. Shreya, if the audience wants to connect with you in any other way, you want to send them anywhere else. In the Lama app, there's a button to chat with me directly. I love hearing from people. So any time of the day, just drop in. And on all social media platforms, we're at Lamha Official. But whatever we post comes out of Lamha first. So hopefully we'll see you on the Lama app. Yeah. Is that through that WhatsApp thing that I uh, talked about earlier? Yes. With you? So there's yeah. a direct line to my WhatsApp as well. Oh, wow. I love that. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Thank you for having me and thank you for listening. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you on the next chat. Want to increase your downloads and revenue? Check out our new ASO master service where we help you with ASO, optimizing your revenue, and we'll even manage your Apple search ads and Google ads. Learn more at asomasters.com. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.